Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Hey, awesome. So good to be here. Um, as I said, and Emily said, I'm Jenny, um, and it's really great to be here. Uh, as a student myself, I think I liked, actually, I like to sit over here, over here. Um, I think if I sat, like, anywhere behind, like, that middle section, like, as we know, I'm short, so I couldn't see the worship lyrics behind there, um, so I always tried to stick to the front few rows. Um, I would like my claim to be, fame be that I was the last person to live in what is now called the hub, so that was me, everyone. <laughs> That was my claim to fame. Um, It's been almost a decade since I stepped foot on grounds as a first year, which is crazy. Um, I lived in 225 Courtenay. Does anyone here in Courtenay? Yay! Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's awesome. Um, So they told us my first year that they were going to tear that building down my fourth year, but yet still here, guys. (laughs) Um, Anyway... For so many reasons, I should not be here today. Um, I entered college as a pretty cynical first year, um, pretty jaded church kid. So I concluded that Christianity was this nice social construct that people made to make life easier. (laughs) Um, So when I say that I wasn't interested in Christian community at all, like I would literally, I'm from Northern Virginia, so I knew a lot of people. Um, I would literally ignore the Christians I knew from back home when I passed them on McCormick. Like it wasn't even like a, hey, good to see you. Like I would like walk across the street so I wouldn't cross paths with them. Um, But God in his loving kindness interrupted my life through this community. um, And I'm so grateful for that. My husband, Ben, and I met as students in Chi Alpha here, and I speak for both of us when I say that this community has been um, such a gift. Our time here didn't just give us great experiences and friends, though we loved semi-formals, and you should definitely go on a spring break trip, though it kind of sounds like there are no spots left, but next year, if you haven't signed up. Um, Those were great, but it was really in this community that God profoundly shaped both of our understandings of how to live as disciples of Christ. Um, So since most of you guys don't know me, I thought I would start by telling you a little bit something about myself. Um, Something you should know about me is that I am a sponge in the sense that I am quick to adopt mannerisms of those around me very, very quickly. Anyone else a sponge out there? Yeah, what's going on over there? What is this? (laughs) What? What is that? Um, I'm a sponge. Uh, And I think upon deep reflection, it was a strategy I learned how to perfect after my family immigrated to the States in order to fit in. So, for example, one summer in college, I worked at the summer camp down south where everyone wore oversized t-shirts, tennis skirts, a million bracelets, and bows in their hair. So after two months at this camp, I came back wearing oversized t-shirts and tennis skirts and a million bracelets and a bow in my hair. And my mother was appalled. She was like, what happened to you? Um, uh, Apparently, since I've moved up north to Connecticut, I've started uh, pronouncing my A's differently. So yesterday, we were hanging out with my sister and my future brother-in-law, Gavin. Um, I had to give you a shout-out. 
Um, and they're like, you know, we've noticed you've started saying words weird. I was like, like what? Like you say the word scary, like scary or family. Like I don't know. I didn't know I was doing this, but apparently someone I know up there <laughs> talks like that. Um, but the most recent example of my sponginess involves uh, this wicker shelf. This is uh, my lovely husband, Ben, modeling for us. Um, it's pretty awesome, I gotta say. I found it on Facebook Marketplace for free. I know. And it should be kind of embarrassing how much joy a piece of furniture brings me, but I literally think this is like one of my greatest accomplishments of 2021. I look at it every day, I just kind of touch it. Um, and I recently saw another Facebook Marketplace posting for like this exact same shelf. It was $300. So, yeah, I know. So what happened was I was just sitting on my computer, face scrolling Marketplace like most 20-something-year-olds do these days, and I see this posting, and it was free. So I dropped whatever it was doing. I drove to this person's out. Turns out it was this like really older couple who obviously didn't know they could make $300 off of this. Um, so I felt kind of bad, but I took it anyway. Um, and it was awesome. So here we are. But you know what the interesting thing is, though, about this shelf is that I had never in my life thus far, consciously thought, I would love a wicker shelf. But for some reason, when I saw it on Facebook Marketplace, somewhere deep down in my subconscious, like, immediately told me, this is a great find. You got to get it. So how does someone like me, who's never owned a wicker thing, do we own any other wicker things? No. Um, or sought it out, know deep in her heart that this is something I want in my home. And upon some reflection, didn't take that long, I concluded it's because I follow a lot of home decor Instagram accounts with what it, I, I think it's called bohemian aesthetic. Bohemian, yeah, boho. Um, and I know this might not be a mind-blowing revelation, but for the weeks that followed, I was just like, wow. I am so swayed by social media. And to be clear, I don't regret getting this shelf, but I like would sit on my couch thinking, how many things have I bought in my living room that were just like the result of me doing this? Like that was terrifying to me. Um, somehow, subconsciously, what I saw on my phone influenced what I saw as valuable and good. And it's not the worst thing to be uh, influenced by Instagram to buy a shelf. Um, but what about when we are formed in more deeper and conscious, cons consequential ways by the things that we see and hear? What about when the messages that we read or hear form our mind and our hearts, for example, to think about only ourselves or believe that our personal happiness is the greatest good? or go as so far as to dehumanize a group of people as less than. And I would propose, sorry about that, that we are all more easily influenced than we like to think. Or to put it another way, we are more easily formed than we'd like to admit. Have you guys ever heard the saying, you're the average of your five closest friends? Ever heard that? Yeah, it's kind of terrifying. Um, it also sounds just like a nice motivational quote to go out and find good friends. Um, but I think it's more true than not. Because most of us would like to think that you and I are pretty rational people, right? That we can stop, we can 
remove ourselves from situations and think really rationally about things and then respond in a thoughtful way. Um, And really, like, since the Enlightenment period, I feel like humans have built this concept of self as being rational beings. But really, the, the science and the anthropology that we understand about ourselves as a human species shows us otherwise. We're not as rational and autonomous as we think. We're actually very malleable. Whether that's our families of origin, our friends, the people around us, our own selves, the media we consume, or the value systems of the world. And so every day, whether we know it or not, understand it or not, we are being formed. We become more like the people we hang around, right? For better or worse. We walk into first floor Clem and we're like immediately stressed because everyone else around you is stressed. Clemens still a thing? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Um, You find yourself like pretending to be a UVA basketball fan and trying to get a ticket to a game, even if you don't care for sports, because UVA basketball, go who's. The entertainment industry tells us stories of what is good, beautiful, and true. Cancel culture shapes what we view as right or wrong or acceptable. Right around this time of year is when a lot of students... Um, first years go back home for the very first time since coming to college. And the students at the school that I serve come from literally all over the world. Yet after a while, most students find themselves thinking the same way about most things. And it's very common for students to come back and say, and I have this conversation every year, last three years, you know, I didn't realize how much I've changed since coming to college, how my views on this or that have changed. And to some extent, our minds are being broadened when we're in college. But I think more powerful than that, there is formation happening. And so the world around us is a formation machine. And if this is the case, if it's true that you and I are so easily formed, let me ask us all a question. How are we being formed? When was the last time that we asked who or what is forming me, both intentionally and unintentionally? Do those things have our ultimate good in mind? And to what end? Is the end goal just to be a better person, live a better life? Or is there a kind of formation that can actually lead to the flourishing of others? So how are we being formed And honestly, if not for what we're going to read tonight in our text, this question would haunt me and drive me crazy because I have had too many late-night existential thoughts and crises, like literally laying in bed. Am I just at the whim of culture? Is there any way to know, like, I'm actually growing towards true goodness and righteousness? But here is the good news. God created us to be formed. We're easily malleable because that is how God designed us as humans who enter the world as small newborn, who over the course of our lifetimes have the capacity to grow and be formed in every way. And so Jesus's invitation to come and see was not just so that we would become believers, but to become his disciples, to follow him in such a way that transforms us into his likeness for our own good, but also for the sake of others. So tonight, let's look at a passage where Jesus speaks about this very thing. And we'll be reading from 
John 15, verses 1 through 8. This passage is in the middle of a pretty intimate and emotionally charged setting. It's often known as the farewell discourse. Uh, Jesus knows that he's about to be crucified, so he's spending some final moments with his disciples. Um, This is not in the context of Jesus speaking to the crowds, but he's speaking to his disciples, those who have been actively following him. And he knows that his disciples are about to face some hardship, so he's spending his last few moments pouring into them, giving them wisdom and encouragement. And so let's read in verse 1 of John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's a pretty nice passage, huh? I feel like you don't have to be a Christian to read that and think, wow, it's really poetic and beautiful, right? Or maybe you read that and you're like, someone adds Jesus on how many times you can use the word remain in one conversation. Like, it's up for a lot. But what do these words mean? Why does Jesus say that word so many times? And can his words transform us? And so I want to answer just three questions tonight. First, why is Jesus saying these words? Second, what exactly is he asking of us? And third, how do we live this out? And so first, why is Jesus saying these words? This passage begins with a pretty stunning statement. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And to our 21st century ears, it's kind of cutesy image, right? And in one sense, it's a simple metaphor. If you look at a picture of a vine, um, you can get a, a gist of what Jesus is trying to say. But the image of the vine actually takes us back to the Old Testament. And if we put this claim in its context, it's even more beautiful when we see what Jesus is doing. So check this out. In the Old Testament, God often referred to his people, the Israelites, as a vine. A vine that God himself planted to bear fruit for his glory. And they were intended to not only have salvation for themselves, but they were going to be a channel for the world's salvation. But if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, you would know that it's a story of a failed people. And actually, every time that Israel is talked as a vine, it's more or less about their failure to bear fruit. It's not really a positive image. I mean, look at this verse. Oh yeah, there's a vine. Thank you. I forgot I put that there. Um, In Jeremiah 2.21, God says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt, wild vine? Like I said, not very pretty. 
God had cultivated Israel as a vine, but they became fruitless, degenerate, incurring judgment. And so Jesus, by saying, I am the true vine, he not only identifies with the failures of Israel, but because he's without sin, he transcends them, bearing fruit through his branches where Israel had previously been fruitless. And it's not that Israel is being rejected or demeaned, but rather that the genuine Israel, the genuine people of God, is composed of those who remain in Jesus. And so Jesus is the true source for fruitfulness. And so why is Jesus saying these words? Because he knows it deeply matters the vine that they remain in, the vine that they attach themselves to, because they will either be fruitful or they're going to wither. You see, Israel grew to believe that their nationality, which associated them with God, equaled their salvation. They could be unfaithful to God. They could live by their own rules. They believed they could do all of this, and their souls basically have no consequences because they're Israel. And so Jesus is declaring that life is no longer found through belonging to a particular religious or national identity, but it's found through me. And I think this metaphor actually fits us modern people quite well because like Israel, we attach ourselves to vines that do not bear fruit. We all attach ourselves to something, some vine. We look to things to give us life, right? Have you ever seen someone who's attached their life to the wrong thing? Someone who's put all of their hope and expectation and time to something, but at some point, the fruit of that vine dries up and they wither. I think of how in high school, all I wanted to do was go to college and get out of Northern Virginia. As miserable as high school was, all the late nights with little sleep, I just kept thinking, it's all going to be worth it. Once I'm in college, it's going to be a fresh start. I'm going to discover who I really am. All of my passions are going to find my people. It's just really ready to be an adult. A few months into college, though, I was enjoying my first year making friends, doing fine in my classes, but kind of felt short of like what I hoped it would feel like in here. And so think of all the vines that exist at UVA and in the world around you. Maybe it's a club, a relationship, maybe it's a career path or a specific social circle or an ideology, we think, you know, if I attach myself to that, I'm going to have joy, security, purpose. It's going to give me what I want. And I used to think that those things were just neutral, but I find that those vines actually form my soul. Because if we want to see what formation looks like, all we have to do is look at the world and how its vines are forming us. And what Jesus is saying, attach yourself to me. I am the true vine. It matters what that vine is because it's either going to cause you to bear fruit or wither. Because notice how many times Jesus uses that phrase, bear fruit, in this passage. God wants us to be fruitful. And when we talk about fruit, we're not talking about having success or having a good life. We're talking about Christ being formed in us for our own good and for the sake of others. The fruit is that we become agents of Jesus' plan of salvation while we ourselves are being transformed. And so putting that all together, 
It deeply matters the vine that you choose to remain in. You will either be fruitful or fruitless. The vines we attach ourselves to either forms Christ in us or deforms us. And so second, if this is true, what exactly is Jesus telling us to do? Because it seems not enough in my experience to just know this intellectually, that God is the source I need to depend on. I can speak from experience that just believing the right things doesn't always lead to my transformation. Like, have you guys ever had the experience of hearing like an excellent sermon, which you probably guys do every Monday, um, and you're ready to change your life, and yet two days later, like, what's happening? I'm already failing. I've been there, like, every week. <laughs> and Jesus, what is he telling us? He's telling us to remain. And that word that's translated remain, um, maybe in your translation it says abide, is the Greek word meno. It's one of the Apostle John's favorite words. Um, notice that it's an active verb. It means simply to dwell with. Or my favorite way to think about it, to make your home with. When you make a home with someone, you're settled, right? You're staying put. Simply put, to remain is to just literally not depart from. You're just there. There's not quite a perfect equivalent of this word in English. Um, It made me think of a cute little movie from a few years ago called Up. Has anyone seen that movie? Yeah, if you haven't seen it, shame on you. Just kidding. (laughs) I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Um, (laughs) um, But Up, it's also known as the movie with, like, the saddest opening scene ever, right? Um, If you haven't seen it, you really should. I'm not going to, I don't think I'm spoiling anything, but the movie opens with this beautiful montage. Um, They introduce us to this young man named Carl and his wife, Ellie, and there's this, like, music playing. You see them fall in love. They get married. They build a life together. They buy this rundown house, and they flip it, Um, and she has a dream of one day moving their home to Paradise Falls. So they start saving money in this little jar, Um, but unfortunately, right before they're about to travel, Ellie tragically passes away, and it's, like, literally so sad. Like, I just watched this, like, recently to prepare myself for this. I started crying. I was like, who allowed someone to make this movie? Um, But anyway, years later, Carl is stubbornly still, like, holding out in that house, like, why would you not? Like, you know, it's your special home. And the neighborhood around him is, like, looks like this. You know, obviously he's <laughs> on there alone. Um, and the court is like, dude, you got to go, like, move. You need to go to assisted living. But Carl is like, no way. Um, I'm staying in this house. And in fact, I'm going to take this house to Paradise Falls. And so the infamous balloons are tied on top and Carl embarks on his adventure. And so if that sounds interesting to you, you can go watch Up on Disney+. Plus. (laughs) But when I think of the word meno, to remain, I think of Carl and this house making his home and never departing. And the gospel writer John actually repeatedly uses this word meno to describe things that are mutually like interior And actually, the same word is used to describe Jesus' relationship with the Father. The Father remains in Jesus, and Jesus in the Father. 
And so Jesus is suggesting that the same way the Father and Jesus remain in each other, we as disciples can remain in Jesus. And if you have read the chapter previous to this one where Jesus explains the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can understand that the Holy Spirit is the means by which we remain. And how amazing is it that Jesus invites us to remain in him the same way that he remains in the Father. What an intimate and powerful invitation that is to be in a deep, intimate relationship with God. And so if that's the case, based on these words, the primary goal of a disciple to Jesus is to learn how to live in a constant state of connection and awareness to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, come to me and stay with me. Remain in me. Get yourself in my presence and stay there. And in verse 7, we read, he says, that if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And this little sentence clarifies what it means to remain in Jesus. His words need to remain in us. And this means so much more than just read your Bible and memorize it. It means that Jesus's words must be in our hearts and influencing every corner of our lives. And we can't ignore the solemn warning of Jesus that if we don't do this, if we don't remain, we will not only be fruitless, but we're going to wither and get exactly what we want, which is life outside of Christ. And so you cannot be a disciple of Christ without learning how to remain. A sad irony of our day is that we can be so deeply committed to being a Christian but not be formed by Christ because we do not remain. Because if we do not remain in Christ and let him transform us, we will be formed by the world. But as we learn to remain in Christ, he pours himself into us. We are transformed to be more like him. We experience joy and peace, all for our own good and for the sake of others. And so finally, how do we obey Jesus' command to remain? Because it kind of sounds like Jesus is telling us to be in two places at once, like all the time, right? <laughs> like be with Jesus, but also in Econ 201. And like also while you're doing mundane things like showering. Um, maybe that's a bad example. Some people like praying in the shower. Um, how am I supposed to be a faithful student a faithful friend, if I'm just thinking about God 24-7. Surely that's not what Jesus is saying. Yeah, you're correct. We're not going to abandon our lives to live monastic lives, although sometimes, honestly, that sounds really awesome to me. One of my favorite modern-day philosophers, um, Jamie Smith, whose writings on the secular worldview have been deeply impactful in my life, um, he writes in his book, called You Are What You Love, that when it comes to our spiritual formation, the habits we played out day by day are not tangential to our worship, but actually central. 
Jamie writes, all kinds of cultural rhythms and routines are, in fact, rituals that function as pedagogies of desire precisely because they tactfully and covertly train us to love a certain version of the kingdom, teach us to long for some rendition of the good life. These aren't just things we do, they do something to us. And so habits, these are the things that we often do without even thinking about it, right? And another way to think about habits are as liturgies. When you think of the word liturgy, most likely you think of a form of ritual that you practice in worship. Maybe that's communal prayer or confession or when the Eucharist is given. But think about it like this. A liturgy is a in its core, is a pattern of words or actions repeated regularly as a way of worship, right? And so our daily and weekly habits are also our liturgies. They form us. So for example, the habit of checking my email first thing in the morning. Anyone do that today? (laughs) It's okay, I do that all the time. It's bad. Um, The habit of checking my email first thing in the morning. This forms the belief that my identity is centered around my work. Or the habit of always working while eating forms the belief that eating is an inconvenience and pulls us away from each other, rather than seeing eating as a reminder that we are made for food and for each other. Or the habit of scrolling on our phones while we're at a red light. Don't do that. or in line at Chipotle, or we're just walking to class. This forms the belief that we can be omnipresent, being in multiple places at once, and that that's relational intimacy. Or how about the stories that we immerse ourselves in, whether that's on Netflix, YouTube, podcasts, the news, the stories that shape our idea of what the good life is, where the world is going, or what it means to be human. Ultimately, the stories that we become. We become our habits. And there's a term in Christian history called the rule of life. Is anyone familiar with that? Simply put, a rule of life is a term for a pattern of communal habits um, for formation. They're a form of habits um, to be with Jesus, to become like him. And spiritual communities have been using this framework for a very long time. Um, and notice that it's not a, like rules of life, but a rule. And that's because that Latin, the Latin word that we translate as rule, um, many scholars estimate uh, was the word that was used for a trellis in a vineyard. Um, if you're not familiar, it's like that wooden structure that helps make space for a vine to grow. Yeah, so this is like what an actual vineyard trellis looks like. And this one's a pretty trellis that I just like the picture of. An early follower of Jesus used this metaphor from John 15 as a way to live out this reality of remaining, of living in God's presence all through the day. And so the same way that a vine needs a trellis to lift it off the ground and help it to bear fruit, we need a rule of habits as a support structure to help us remain in Christ. So when it comes to remaining in the true vine, it doesn't just have to be theoretical or intellectual. Like, we can actually live this out, y'all. Because here's the sobering thought. We already, we all have habits, which means that if we ignore the ways our habits shape us, 
we're being formed by the American or the UVA rule of life, which doesn't always form Jesus in us, but more so anxiety, consumerism, vanity, etc. And so I like to think of it this way. Spiritual formation is counterformation. So I would encourage you sometime this week, just take an inventory of your daily, weekly habits, like almost like from a third person's perspective. This is something that Ben, I, ben and I do regularly and have conversations about. Um, and I do need to make a warning for those of us who are like really motivated and disciplined individuals. You are not in control of your spiritual formation. That is called Project Self. Jesus says that the Father is the vine dresser. Um, to remain is not a life hack or a shortcut to spiritual growth, but at the same time, spiritual transformation probably won't happen without remaining. And so there's not a right way to create a rule of life. Um, There are some habits that I would personally recommend, but I want to spend our last few moments to implore you to put into practice one habit that I consider the bedrock of it all, and that is spending daily time in God's presence through scripture and prayer. Scripture, because you and I do not know who we are apart from the God who made us. And so by reading scripture, we receive our true sense of identity by gazing on the story of who God is and who we are becoming. And prayer, because that is where we get to just commune with God in his presence. This is a habit or liturgy that I learned to grow, or really to start, while I was a student at UVA. It's probably the most important thing I learned in college. And if there's one thing I pray that every student begins to do as a student here, is learn how to spend daily time in God's presence. And to be clear and honest, it hasn't been smooth sailing, but with any other habit, it can grow over time. And this habit of spending daily time in God's presence is probably the thing that has sustained my relationship to Jesus, especially during seasons of hardship and great disillusionment. And so I just have a few quick tips on how to develop this as part of your daily liturgy. First, put it in your schedule and make it non-negotiable. Um, This really helped me in the same way that certain things are um, non-negotiable, such as classes. Maybe that's negotiable for you. Um, Put your daily time with Jesus in your schedule. Um, I personally don't know anyone who's like accidentally started spending time with God every day. If that's you, that's fascinating. Um, But having a consistent time and a place, that is a game changer. Um, most people recommend the morning, and I would agree with that. Um, and so that means you've got to get some sleep. Start with a realistic goal. Um, I think so often we overreach and we're like, I'm going to spend three hours with God every day. But honestly, y'all, that's a strategy bound to fail. And honestly, unrealistic goals more often than not can leave us disillusioned. So start with where you are, not where you feel like you need to be. 
Second, find a reading plan. There are tons of great reading plans easily accessible, um, but find one that allows you to read through a book of the Bible at a time. Immerse yourself in that story of Scripture, the story that helps us understand our own identity. And honestly, when I was thinking about what helped jumpstart my daily time with Jesus, it was literally just having like someone tell me what to read. It's kind of like a workout. You show up to a gym, you see all these things, and you're like, what am I supposed to do? Um, Just find a reading plan. Uh, Third, read scripture for transformation, not information. Um, So I put a couple questions that I like to ask myself in the presence of God as I read scripture. Um, And just remember that you have your entire lives to, to deepen your understanding of the scriptures. And so read scripture for transformation, not information. Um, Next, leave your phone out of it. Um, Just do it. Just don't bring your phone into it. Promise me. (laughs) I promise you, you'll thank me for it later. But also promise me that you're going to leave your phone out of it. And lastly, do it in community. Tell someone in your core group or your mentor that you desire to make this habit um, part of your daily life and ask them to pursue this practice together. It's a huge blessing to have others doing it with you, especially when you're trying to form something new. Um, I remember a few years ago, Pete talked about this idea of a one-thing group text, right? That's what it was called, one thing. Um, It's basically you just grab a few people and uh, every day in this group text, text one thing that God spoke to you as you spent time in his presence. Um, I know that it was a real game changer for some people. And so there's so much more we could talk about here, and I'm sure that the staff and interns would love to be talked this through even further. Um, And if this is something you already do, um, I would just invite you, what would it look like to grow this habit of remaining? Maybe you want to expand your time, or maybe you want to add a habit of midday prayer. I don't know. What would it look like to grow this habit of remaining? Um, You know, as I was praying for you all and asking the Lord if there was anything specific he might want to speak to you all, um, something I felt like I wanted to share is that there are some in this community who have really great habits that are allowing you to remain in the presence of Jesus. But at the same time, there are habits that are running counter to what Christ wants to form in you. It's like you're like building up that trellis, that beautiful trellis, um, more and more without addressing the fact that Every day it's sinking six inches deeper into the mud. So it's not only enough to engage in habits that form you towards Christ-likeness. You must also disengage from habits that are deforming you. And so to bring this all to a close, um, I'd like to invite the worship team back up. Um, I want to just return to our original question of how are we being formed God created you and I to be formed. We are easily formable creatures, and we're being formed every day. But the good news is, is that God wants to form Christ in us for our own good and for the sake of others around us. So I want to close by leaving us with a few questions to reflect on with the help of the Holy Spirit. Just in your minds, take a quick inventory of your habits. What does your day-to-day habits, your weekly habits, look like? 
How do your habits reveal what vines you're attached to? Are those vines that you're letting you form you? What kind of fruit are those vines bearing? What might it look like to grow the habit of daily time in God's presence? And are there habits that you need to release because they are not forming you towards Christ-likeness? There is nothing that will enrich your life or bring joy and peace into your life more than a deeper um, and a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence um, than the, the habit and the joy of getting to spend daily time in his presence. And so my brothers and sisters, um, just imagine what kind of community the body of Christ could be if we learned how to remain in the vine of Christ. Because Jesus promises, you will bear fruit. What sorts of things might God continue to do through your core group and through this community if we followed the way of Jesus and learned to make our home with him and not depart? Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, these words that you've given to us. God, we thank you for the invitation um, to follow you, to be with you daily. Um, God, I pray for every single one of us. God, help us to remain in you. Lord, forgive us for looking to other things to remain in. God, would you... uh, just illuminate areas of our lives where we may need to disengage from unhealthy habits that are not forming us towards Christ-likeness. And God, give us the the wisdom and the courage to to embark or to continue on this journey of spending daily time with you. God, would your scriptures just become so real and alive to us. God, would you be faithful to meet us as we pray. God, help UVA Chi Alpha to bear much fruit for our own good and for your glory and for the good of those around us. And in your name I pray, amen. Lord, tonight we choose to accept your invitation to make our home with you and you make your home with us. Lord, help us as we go through this week to remain with you, to abide in you by your grace and your spirit's power. Amen. Amen. Can you guys give Jenny a hand? Thank you, Jenny. She and Ben drove down just to speak with us, and uh, what a joy to see them. Well, what a great challenge and great word for us tonight. I'd like to give the benediction. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance toward you. And as you remain in him, may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Have a wonderful week following Jesus. We'll see you at Dive Deep. 
Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.